test, test. All right. Hey, we welcome you back. Yeah, see who we have watching online. We have Elizabeth watching. Yesenia. Diane. Diane Lauterbach. Hi, Diane. I think she moved up to Gretna, if you're not aware of that. And uh, so, uh, hoping her move went okay. So, amen. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4 today. So we've kind of looked at a few different passages in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 and 2 and 3. So we did chapter 3 on October 23rd. If you want to go back and catch that, that was called In the Streets. And it talks about where... um, Peter and John were going to the temple to pray and at the time of prayer and there was a man that was begging there. He had been crippled since birth and instead of just walking by, something just kind of sparks within Peter and says, hey, we don't have silver or gold. We can't help you out financially, but what we do have, we're going to give you. And so they sit in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. One of the major important miracles in the book of Acts and it would really kind of get things going in Jerusalem because now the word is going to get out, okay? It's, it's on Facebook, it's on Twitter, right? It's on the local news, right? Um, you know, they had their own Twitter and Facebook and stuff. It was, it was happening, all right? It was happening. And, and so everybody, it, it kind of went from one person to the other, and they're hearing about this man that had been healed. And what was so miraculous about it is that he'd been crippled since birth. All right, and now he, he it instantly healed, you know, and Luke records that. He's the physician. He gets strength in his legs. You know, he has never walked. And if you've had surgery or something like that, you know that it takes time to get that muscle uh, tone back and to do that, but it instantly. So not only does God heal whatever needs to be healed there, but he, uh, he gets full strength of muscles and everything. So he goes around leaping, Jumping and praising God. Amen. So uh, we talked about ministry, though, often happens in the form of an interruption. So I, I think that's an important thing to, me, to know, just because often we can be going through life and we see a need, but it's in form of an interruption, and we don't recognize it as God working. We see it as what it sometimes is, is an interruption instead of God working. And so we have to have an open mind to that and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And then it means stepping out in boldness. And as we do, though, the, it opens the door for the miraculous and then advances God's uh, the message, the gospel. All right? So today builds on that because as this miracle takes place, the news spreads. Everybody's excited. God is working. Woo, right? But not everybody's excited. There's a certain group of people that aren't too excited, right? The ones that crucified Jesus. Because now people are being healed in the name of the resurrected Christ, right? So, um, all right. So I've entitled the message this morning, Courageous. And um, I want you to think about where courage comes from. Is it a matter of being born with the right genes? Is that where courage comes from? And maybe. Is it a matter of values that have been taught to you when you were younger? Could be. Some, that definitely could play a role. 
Is it a matter of personality or temperament? Kind of going back to the genes there. Some people are a little more bold, right? A little more confident. Some people are overconfident. Some are underconfident, right? Okay, that could be part of it. When is courage the most evident? Bad times, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? So being confident is one thing. Courage takes it a next step because courage kind of insinuates that we're displaying confidence and boldness in a very difficult time. That's when we recognize courage, right? It, it adds that element that it is happening in that environment of difficulty, hardship, trials, adversity, right? Am I right on that? That's what we t- when we refer to courage, that's what we mean. So confidence, courage, and boldness are all related in some way, shape, or form there. Um, if I'm going to be bold and courageous, I must have that sense of confidence to take that first step. But the thing that I notice about confidence and even boldness and courage, when you need it most, is it there? So what do I mean by that? Watch the, so football's happening right now and volleyball and and things like that, right? Those are the sports. And it's hard to watch an episode or a, you know, um, to watch a game. And the commentator's not talking about confidence. So that player has confidence. Man, their confidence has really improved or whatever. And they usually attribute it to what? Skills, right? Training, coaching, those things that as they improve in those things that their confidence builds. But we've all seen the great player make a confident play. And then all of a sudden the interception happens, the turnover happens, and it's boom. The confidence is like it evaporates into thin air. You ever seen that happen? Yeah, and even to some of the best players, what usually sets apart good players from the best players is that the best players learn how to play through those downtimes and to even play with confidence even when they don't sense or feel it. You following me? Courage is not functioning in the absence of fear. Courage is functioning in the face of fear, right? Not in the absence of fear. It is functioning in the presence of fear, in the very face of it. It insinuates that there's that threat, there's that danger that is looming before us. And in those dark, difficult, weak moments, it determines if we have courage or not, right? So, It may be an enemy, it may be a health issue, it may be a bully, it may be a financial crisis, it may be our own thoughts, it may be rejection, it may be hostility. Whatever that thing is, courage is being able to go through that in the face of it with confidence. Okay, So, in our story in the book of Acts, the miracle has taken place. Everybody's excited except for the religious leaders who were instrumental in seeing Christ crucified, right? And so now they are upset because now instead of squashing this movement, it's just kind of being amplified because of this miracle. And it's the talk of everywhere that they're going throughout Jerusalem. They're talking about this miracle that this man was healed in the name of Jesus, the person that they had crucified. And so now the religious leaders are doing all that they can to squash what had just happened. All right? And to intimidate, to bully, to put down what was happening in the apostles, these disciples. So we're going to begin in chapter 4.
4, verse 1 through 12. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Let it speak to our hearts and to our lives. Let it challenge us what it means to be spirit-empowered and to rely upon your Holy Spirit. We give you the thanks. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so chapter 4, verse 1. If you follow along with me, um, and Acts. All right, here we go. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John, and while they were speaking to the people, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening, and they put them in jail until the next day. Wow. Why? Had they robbed a bank? No. They've been talking in the name of Jesus. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So now Pentecost, day of Pentecost was 3,000. We've added 2,000 more people that have come to believe in Christ. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem, and Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family, and Peter and John, and they brought them before them and began to question them and say, by by what power or what name do you do this? In other words, the miracle, okay? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, by whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The first thing that we see there is that courage comes from, I'm going to look at where courage comes from. And so we see in this first 12 verses that, first of all, courage comes from being filled by the Holy Spirit. It says that Peter spoke up and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 8. All right? And so he is being brought before this Sanhedrin and these people, the people that crucified and gave the sentence to Jesus to be crucified. So, you know, if there's something to be concerned about and fearful about, I think there was relevant case there, right? But Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke to them confidently and with boldness and said, hey, if we're being call, called account for doing something kind and generous, let it be known we did it in the name of Jesus, whom you crucified. He did it with boldness. And so throughout the book of Acts, we have this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you go to the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon um, and fill. So you have the judges, the prophets, the kings. um, But it wasn't all people. That was the the prophecy of Joel that in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all people, men and women, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, all people. That includes you and me, right? He was going to pour out His Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, some of the terminology I wrestle with in the book of Acts and um, even in the Old Testament, you know, I'll pour out my Spirit, okay? Kind of seems like the Holy Spirit's like water or oil, right? A substance. 
But he's the third person of the Trinity. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's the person of the Trinity. and we, There's that relationship aspect of it. But still, Scripture talks about being filled, or the Spirit comes upon. I'll pour out my Spirit. So, if you look at that word in the original language in the Greek, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means to be, to be or become generously supplied with. In other words, if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is strong in my life. God's presence is there. Is that helpful? You know, if you say that your cup is full, but it's the idea that God's presence is strong and God has generously given it to us. Um, Luke, I think, says, you know what? Um, you have a loving father. If you ask him for the Holy Spirit, he's not going to give you something dangerous. Instead, he's going to give you the Holy Spirit without finding fault, generously. To be filled. In Acts, one commentator says, that this term seems to denote a special empowering by the Holy Spirit that is additional to the work that enables believers to trust in God and live faithfully for God. So, when you invite Christ into your life, there's a spiritual rebirth that takes place. We usually call that being born again, right? Heard of that term? I've been born again. And that used to be used a lot more uh, back 20, 30 years ago. We don't use that term as much anymore. But it means that there's a conversion that takes place. There's a regeneration that takes place, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit. But when we're talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's where the Holy Spirit is coming into our life in an empowering way to equip us to do what God has called us to do, to be a witness, to pray for other people, to show the love of Christ uh, to the world around us. You following me? To pray for a man that is crippled and see him healed. That is the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Or to speak the truth when we are fearful to speak what we should, as Peter just did, right? He was fearful I, I think to say that he wasn't a little bit fearful or the rest of them were not fearful, I think would be saying that they, uh, they weren't human. They were very much human. In fact, Peter, right? Peter, the one that's talking with boldness, remember when he was being questioned by a little servant girl before crucifixion? What did he do? The girl says, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? Weren't you following him? Oh, did, she, did Peter go off and say, yeah, he was, and that tell him about her about Jesus? He says, no, I don't know him. Oh, yeah, I think I know you. I'm positive you were with him. Oh, no, three times, right? So the same Peter that denied Christ now is standing before a hostile environment filled with the Holy Spirit. There's an equipping of courage that comes, a boldness that comes as he is filled as God's Spirit is generously poured out into his life. Are you following me? Um, you can say amen, all right? Preacher, you know, you say, Preacher Pastor Brent, okay, clock is ticking, all right. All right. And then what the passage that Gary read, he says, and continue to be f- uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. He says we're not supposed to be drunk with wine, which leads to bad behavior. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that same word there, but it's the continuous aspect. And you probably say, oh, I don't really care about the continuous aspect. But what that does that mean? It means that we're not just filled once, but we are to be continually filled. That means today, tomorrow, the next day. It is an ongoing thing because you leak, okay? All right? 
All right? And we need the presence of God in our life generously. And it involves a relationship with God through prayer, through praying in the Holy Spirit. Okay? Praying in the Spirit and time in His Word. It is then that we are filled with God's presence in our life and overflowing. You follow me? Okay? Continually be filled. All right. Courage comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit. I got one conclusion at the end, so I'm going to leave it for the end. Verses 13 through 22. When they saw the courage of Peter, there's that word courage, and John, and realized that they were what? Unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with who? With Jesus. But since they could see that the man who had been uh, healing, standing there with them, there was nothing that they could say. <laughs> so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin. And they confirmed together, conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone is living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed in a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them not to speak any longer to anyone in the name of Jesus. Isn't that, are you just following this? Then they called them in again, commanded them not to speak or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is, it, which is right for us in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. That's what it really means to be a witness. And further threats, after further threats, they let them go. And they could not decide how to punish them because all they decided how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who had been miraculously healed was what? Over 40 years old. I don't know. I just find that funny. Um, Luke puts that in there. He's over 40. It must be after 40. It's pretty hard to be healed, okay? <laughs> you feel it a little bit more, right? You know, the apostles did not have an education, right? They were unschooled, so they didn't have go through the route that these religious leaders had gone through. And there was a picking process. You had to find a mentor. You had to find a, um, a priest that would take you under their wing and pour into you. They didn't have that until Jesus came into their life. But they were seen as unschooled, uneducated, and yet they spoke with boldness and confidence. But the thing that they noted, uh, noted is that they had been with Jesus. And that's the second principle there. I know I don't know if that's too basic, but spending time with Jesus. Sometimes we have to go right back to the basics. If we want to live a courageous Christian life, it means being filled with the Holy Spirit and spending time with Jesus. In our prayer time, our devotional time, connecting with them. You know, I, in roughly three years, Jesus had, two and a half, three years, Jesus had with his disciples and in that time, they experienced him calming the storm-tossed waves, healing the sick, raising the dead, providing for 5,000, right? Breaking the bread and the fish, feeding 4,000 once, 5,000 the next time. They saw him do some incredible things, raise the dead, minister to hostile crowds. And as they spent time with him, there was a confidence that came into their life. Not because of who they were, but who they had been with. And I think if we take that time to be with God as well in our own lives, 
there will be a confidence that comes because we've been with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Amen? And we've seen him. I do believe that God is still raising up men and women to accomplish his will. People that are filled with the Spirit and who spend time with him. Verses 23 through 31. So they leave, right? They're told to speak no more in the name of Jesus. So they went back home to their homes. They lived in quiet seclusion, and that's the end of the book of Acts. Is that right? Okay, that's what happens. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, reported to the, all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together to God in prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant and our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord, against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miracles and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. We see that again, right? And they spoke the word of God boldly. So the third here is seeking God in prayer. I believe courage comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit, spending time with Jesus, and seeking God in prayer. You know, and after being interrogated and threatened, they could have they could have been so scared. And they were. If you remember after the crucifixion of Jesus, they were they they didn't know what to do. They were trying to fly below the radar. And then they, you know, they have some encounters with Jesus, and then you have the day of Pentecost. Now they're not going to run and hide. They're going to go to God in prayer. And they said, we're going to still continue to share Christ. I believe this was an intense time of prayer. You know, we pray pretty good when things are against us, don't we? Right? When the child is sick. When we don't know how we're going to meet the financial need. When we have the health crisis, we can get pretty intense in our prayers. And I believe that's what happened here. They it was pretty intense and they sought God. And it says that the place where they were at was shaken. And that's always puzzled me. And I, I just did a little research. And, you know, there's, av- there's that pattern throughout even the Old Testament and even the New Testament where God would shake the earth just as a sign saying, Hey, I heard your prayer. He just shook the house, right? I've heard your prayer. Wow. You ever had that happen to you? I don't think I've ever had that happen. Maybe I'm not praying hard enough. But it's like the place was shaken. And it was God saying to them, I've heard your prayer. I'm going to honor that. And as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to see that people are healed. And um, and that even though they tried to squash what was happening through the apostles, it continued to grow. Um, The effect of prayer was remarkable. Remarkable, one commentator says, the room in which the disciples were gathered shook as if an earthquake was taking place. This was one of those signs that indicated a theophany in the Old Testament. In other words, that God was in the place, in person. It would have been, um, have been regarding as an indicating of divine response to their prayer. God was present 
and would answer their prayer. Again, the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and they were given the confidence they desired to speak the Word of God boldly. There's an empowering presence as we come before God in prayer. Amen? Um, instead of being discouraged, instead of running in fear, instead of uh, they gain confidence, boldness, and courage to speak the name of Jesus even more. Confidence, boldness, and courage, they're all connected, I believe. And they do come from experience. They come from training, right? I went to Bible college and I learned a little bit how to speak. I mean, the first few times that I spoke, I was shaking in my boots, all right? And there's still days that I still shake in my boots. So training helps. Training helps. But there's not a substitute for being filled with the Holy Spirit and having God's Spirit presence there for prayer and spending time with God. And I want to close with one final illustration. And it's David. He's Old Testament. But Samuel would come and anoint him with oil. You know, Samuel went to uh, their house and saw all the sons. And God says, nope, none of these are it. You know, the tall ones, the good-looking ones, the older ones. And Samuel says, do you have any more sons? Well, yeah, we got the youngest guy, David, but he's out taking care of the sheep. Samuel says, go get him. Samuel anoints him. And David would continue to work out in the fields. And one day a bear would come in and try to threaten his sheep. You know, he didn't have, I think he maybe had a bow, but he went after this bear with his own hands, kills the bear. And one day a lion comes in, tries to take away some of his sheep and does the same thing, kills the lion. That takes some, for a young man, that takes a lot of courage, Amen. And then one day his father says, hey, I got some supplies here. Your, your, your brothers are at the front line fighting the Philistines. Will you take them these provisions? So David takes the provisions, puts them on a donkey and heads up there to the front lines. And he gets there. There's a lot of commotion. But he gets there and unloads the stuff. And just as somebody steps out of the Philistine lines and his name was Goliath. And Goliath came out and he says, I defy the army of Israel and your God. And he mocks the God of Israel. And these big, strong military men, some of them probably had experience. They'd fought many battles. Instead of one of them stepping forward and saying, hey, I'll take on Goliath, because the deal was one man against one man. If Goliath won, then Israel would be subject to the Philistines. But if Israel won then the Philistines would be subject to them. And Goliath stepped forward. And instead of one of these experienced, proven leaders stepping forward to take on Goliath, it says that their fear just, just was there. It was like their courage just evaporated, right? And they shook in their boots when Goliath came forward. And David hears this, and instead of running in fear, instead of him shaking in his boots, he says, who's going to do something about that big, ugly guy out there, right? He goes to the king, and he says, I'm going to go take on Goliath. And Saul says, well, here's my armor, but it doesn't fit. But there's something that rises up in David. He takes five smooth stones, takes a sling, and he goes out to meet Goliath on the battlefield. And 
He says, you know what? You come against me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. Takes a sling, hits Goliath in the head, boom. But there was a courage and a confidence in David's life. I don't think it was just by chance. I don't think it was David's personality. He wasn't the biggest, the strongest. He was called Rudy, and I think he was short and stocky. But the Spirit of God was in his life. He was filled with the Spirit of God as he would sing the Psalms that we read in our Bible. He worshiped God. He had been with, in the presence of God. He was filled with God's Spirit. He prayed. And because of that, there was an anointing there, a courage that exceeded any human ability. You following me? And he took on Goliath. Amy, would the musicians come? Courage comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit, spending time with Jesus, and seeking God in prayer. You know, each of you can, you can all look at your own life. Scale one to ten, where would you put you yourself on that courage, the boldness, the confidence factor of being a witness for him? You don't have to tell me. You don't even have to tell anybody else. Maybe you're saying, man, I'm going to put myself at a one or a two, you know. Maybe I'd be at an eight. I don't know. This isn't to leave you discouraged or anything. On a scale of one to ten, just me? Yeah, I'm like a one or a two. There's a big difference, though, when I can sense God's spirit in his presence. Then it goes up. It goes up. Because I realize it's not me, that he's walking with me. Amen? Open up my eyes. Remember that what I started off with this morning with Elisha? We need God to open up our eyes to see his presence on our life. That he's there to encourage us. Would you stand this morning? lead us in a prayer of salvation. I do that every Sunday because I don't know who's here and if today or who's watching online but today could be the day of salvation. We read about that in Acts. So would you pray with me especially if this is your day. Saying, dear God, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. Come in and have fellowship with me. Jesus, I pray. Amen. And Lord God, I pray for each of us here today, your people. We're just ordinary people, Lord. But you've called us to be your witness. You've called us to take the Word of God into our communities, the place where we live, the place where we work, the place where we go to school. And Lord, too often our inabilities, our ordinariness, our just inability, Lord, shines through. And Lord God, you don't want us to focus on that. Instead, you want us to focus on your empowering presence in our life. Can we be a David that when the anointing of God is upon our life, when the Goliaths raise their ugly head, we say, God, you're speaking to me. You've helped me take on the, the bear and the lion. Now send me the big guy. 
And God, give us that boldness and that courage that we need to do what you've placed within our hearts to be a witness for you. Lord God, let us be people filled with your spirit. That carry your name to the rest of the world. Praise God. Would you worship the Lord this morning? Lord, my prayer this morning is that that same spirit that rose up within Elisha, that rose up within Isaiah and Jeremiah, that allowed them to be prophets in hostile times, the same spirit that rose up in David to take on Goliath, the same spirit that um, was evident in the life of Peter. It says, you know, we don't have... money resources to help you out, but we do believe in a God that is able to save and to heal. The same spirit that rose up in Paul who was a murderer and a a persecutor of the church who God saved that would boldly proclaim Christ in very hostile areas. The same spirit that rose up in Stephen and Timothy Lord God, I still believe is rising up in your people today. Lord God, I know we're just we're just clay. We're just human beings, Lord God. But God, when you fill us, Lord God, it's your power working in us. So Lord God, let us be filled with your presence. Let us be a people of prayer and let us meet with you, Lord God, so that we can be the people of God and do what you've called us to do. Lord God, we give you the thanks, we give you the praise. In your name we pray, amen. So now I'm, I'm waiting for stories, because I'm going to believe that God is going to sense His Spirit rising up within you this week. That's my prayer, okay? I'm sorry, but that's my prayer. Because I believe that God's going to push you out of your comfort zone. Do you have to go with it? No, probably not. But I'm going to pray he makes you so miserable that if you don't, you're going to be miserable. All right. But I'm praying that you just sense God's spirit rise up and that you step out in boldness. I don't know what that's going to look like. Maybe praying for somebody or sharing Christ with somebody. Um, I don't know what it's going to look like. But I believe that you are. You're going to sense it. It could be at work. It could be at school. It could be out at Walmart. I don't know. But I'm going to, I want testimonies next Sunday. All right? So tell my wife, okay? <coughs> tell her to your story so we can record it. Hey, God bless this morning. Greet each other as you leave, will you? And encourage one another.